and welcome to Season 3 of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host and author, J.C. Bodden. In this week's podcast, I'll be reading to you the next chapter from my novel, Not on My Watch, which is the third book in the Devlin O'Quinn Mystery Series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Not on My Watch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. If you are interested in ordering any of my books, please visit my website, jcbiden.com. You'll find the link in the podcast info. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 313, Not On My Watch, chapter 13. Devlin decided to stop by Jenny and Joe's. He parked his truck in the driveway and went to the back door, intending to let himself in with his own key. Just as he stepped onto the porch, the lights overhead and in the kitchen clicked off. Not sure what was going on, he silently drew his gun from the holster on his hip before slipping his key in the lock. When he opened the door, the kitchen was completely dark. He could see the lights from the dining room under the crack at the bottom of the swinging door. His instincts still on high alert, he stepped into the kitchen. Stop right there, a voice growled from behind his shoulder. Devlin felt the blood drain from his stomach. He slowly raised his left hand, the one holding the house keys, but kept his right hand with the gun at his side. I want to see both hands, the man behind him said. Devlin nodded and slowly raised his other hand. Before it was all the way up, the swinging door to the dining room opened. Joe walked into the kitchen and flipped on the light. Shit, Joe exclaimed. Devlin took advantage of the distraction and jabbed his elbow into the gut of the man standing behind him, knocking him forward. In one quick motion, he whirled behind the man and drove him to the floor with his knee. He grabbed a fistful of collar and pressed his gun against the man's temple. Mickey stepped into the kitchen behind Joe. Devlin! Mickey and Joe both exclaimed at the same time, their hands raised. It's okay! It's okay! Devlin looked from them to the man he had in his grasp. He suddenly realized that it was Jacob Hunter, the cop on duty to protect the house and its occupants. Shit, Devlin cursed. What the hell? He dropped Jacob's shirt and lowered his gun. Jacob, his face red, rolled over and sat up, sputtering hard. Sorry, Chief. I, I-, I didn't know it was you, he said, his voice raspy in between gasps. Damn, boy, I just about took you out, Devlin stammered. Devlin bent over and helped the young man stand. Yes, sir, you just about did, he said with a shake of his head. You've got good reflexes, sir. I'm sorry, son, Devlin said as he jabbed his gun back in his holster. It's my fault, sir. I shouldn't have surprised you like that. Hell, son, Devlin ran his fingers through his hair. Do you have any idea how jumpy I am right now? You guys all right, Mickey asked. The two of them looked from each other to Mickey. Yeah, I think so, Devlin breathed. He looked back at Jacob. Try to remember, I'm the one with red hair, he joked with a shaky laugh. Yeah, Chief, I know, but it's dark outside and I didn't get a good look. All I knew was that someone with an old pickup truck was coming in the back door in the middle of the night. Listen, kid, you're right. You were just doing exactly what I told you to do. Devlin patted the young officer on the back. Joe walked over to the fridge and took out four soft drink cans. I don't know about y'all, but I need a drink, he said with a smile as he passed the cans around to the men. Too bad it can't be something stronger, but you cops are trigger-happy enough as it is. The men smiled and took the drinks Joe offered them. Have a seat, he motioned to the chairs around the kitchen table. The three other men sat while Joe leaned against the kitchen counter. Devlin popped open his can and took a few sips and then turned to Joe. Everyone okay here? Joe nodded. 
Jenny and the boys are sleeping well, as long as you two don't go around blasting those guns of yours. How's Elliot's sister? She's in pretty bad shape. A fractured skull, bleeding inside her brain. Still hasn't woken up. How's Elliot holding up? Okay, I guess. Their parents are there. That's good. Miggy spoke up. Is there anything we can do, Devlin? No, I don't think so. And do you think all this is connected? The kidnapping, Davenport's murder, Lynn's attack? Devlin stood up and paced the room as the other men watched. Finally, he turned to them. Yeah, I think it is. I don't really have any proof that Lynn's attack is part of this, but I'm going to assume it is until I find out different. He finished his soft drink in two more gulps. Listen, guys, I just stopped by here to check on things and make sure y'all were okay. I'm on my way over to the station. Mickey and Jacob stood up. Devlin extended his hand to Mickey. Thanks for coming over here and watching over things for me. You know I'd do anything for you and this family, Devlin, Mickey said with a smile. He turned to Joe. You okay, Joe? Yes, sir, I'm good, Joe said as Devlin hugged him. Next, he turned to Jacob. Keep up the good work, son, he said with a smile as he shook his hand and slapped him on the back. Jacob smiled grimly and shook his head. Yes, sir. As Devlin left, Jacob stood beside Mickey, watching the ancient trunk pull out of the driveway. His knees started to shake so hard he had to lean against the counter. Mickey slapped the young man on his back. That man did not make chief of police just for his administration skills or as some ceremonial political appointee. He's the best damn cop you'll ever see. I know that now for sure, Mr. Connor, Jacob said as he took a deep breath and silently thanked God that Devlin O'Quinn was too good a cop to shoot him dead in his tracks. Devlin stepped into his office at the police station and sighed deeply. It felt good to be back, despite the circumstances. He looked around and realized that nothing had been moved in his brief absence. It made sense. Roger would have never presumed to use his desk. He logged onto his computer and began running a check of all his old cases. Ever since the phone call when Connor had been kidnapped, he had had the nagging feeling that he knew who was behind all of this. Something about the voice of the kidnapper on the phone. Not so much the voice itself as the rhythm and pace of speaking was hauntingly familiar. He felt he should have been able to identify the man simply based on that phone call. It felt like something that was just out of reach, just on the tip of his tongue, a feeling somewhat akin to deja vu. It had been heightened this morning when Lynn described the phone call she had taken, and again when Justin talked about the old man who helped him clean up the spilled trash at Jenny's house. He hoped that, by looking through all the old photos of his previous cases, he would be able to come up with a face and, more importantly, a name. After he had gone through about a third of his more serious cases, Roger poked his head in his office door. Hey, Dev, he said with a smile. Welcome back. Devlin pushed his chair away from the computer and rubbed his eyes. Thanks, Roger. Got anything? Roger came in and plopped himself in the chair across the desk. He glanced at his watch. Wow, 4.30. Good thing Mindy loves you so much, Dev, or she'd be really pissed right about now. Devlin smiled grimly and nodded his head. You've got a good woman there, Roger. He smiled and nodded in agreement. Yeah, Dev, I know. There's not many women who can put up with a cop for as long as she has. He leaned forward in his chair and his voice dropped to a whisper. Speaking of putting up with a cop, how is it going between you and Elliot? Devlin stood up and stretched the kinks in his back. He looked at Roger and his face softened. She's one hell of a woman, Roger, he said with a wistful smile. Any news about Lynn? No, not yet. In fact, I should probably go over there and check on her. He looked at his watch and twisted his shoulders again. Well, Devlin, walk down to the lab with me for a minute before you go. 
I've got some stuff to show you. In the lab, Devlin shook hands with the technician, a young woman by the name of Mandy Hughes. Distracted, he missed the flush of red on her neck. Roger noticed and smiled to himself, another female member of the chief's fan club. Once Devlin was settled in front of the monitor, Roger signaled her to queue up the first set of images. This is the lobby, time stamped at 4.38. Everyone here is either an employee or a registered guest, with the exception of this guy. Roger pointed to a man dressed in khaki slacks and a white dress shirt, the long sleeves buttoned, his head down, who walked by the front desk to the bar. We'd lose him for 23 minutes. We don't know where he was during that time. Meanwhile, he nodded at Mandy and she made a couple of clicks at her keyboard. Here's our victim. She arrives at 4.40. Devlin watched the tape of Lynn, first in the parking lot and then again in the lobby. Instead of heading straight for the elevator, she entered the bar, her backpack over her left shoulder. Roger picked up the story. We've got a receipt showing she bought a beer and charged it to their room. The bartender remembered her, who wouldn't, she's young and beautiful, and said she was there for about ten minutes, just long enough to drink that one beer, eat a few peanuts. A couple of guys tried to hit on her, but she fended them off pretty successfully as far as he could tell. He says she left him a small tip, two dollars cash, and here we see her get in the elevator. A few clicks from Mandy, and they watched as Lynn rode to the fourth floor alone. Now watch, Dev. Here's our guy again, in the elevator at 501. He gets off on the fourth floor. We got a name? Devlin asked. We got better than a name, Dev, Roger said. Watch. A couple of seconds later, the man looks up, nearly directly into the camera. Damn, Devlin muttered. That's the mayor's assistant, Kemp Evans. Yep, it sure is, Dev, Roger said. What else you got? Does he go to Elliot and Lynn's room? We don't know, Chief, Mandy chimed in. There's no cameras in the hallways. She glanced at Roger, who nodded again at her. Here's where it gets interesting. This is three minutes after Kip gets off the elevator on the fourth floor, 5.04. The next series of shots showed Kip Evans getting back on the elevator, riding down, and leaving through the lobby front doors. This time, he was carrying a sturdy briefcase. Did he have that with him when he went up? Devlin asked as he pointed at the case on the screen. Roger and Mandy both shook their heads no. Looks like he's in a hurry, Devlin commented. He looked from Mandy to Roger. Okay, anything else I need to see? Well, we've got you and Elliot getting there a little after 7.30. Everyone else that comes and goes has a legitimate reason for being there, either staff or guests. But no, there's nothing else that we've been able to find. I will say that there are no cameras in the stairwells, and the camera at the service entrance isn't functioning, so it's possible that someone else could get in and out without our seeing them. Roger sighed heavily. But it doesn't really look very good for Kip Evans right now. Devlin stood up and ran his fingers through his hair. I'm not sure. Three minutes isn't nearly enough time for the damage in Lynn's room. It could be a coincidence. Still, we need to bring him in, Roger. I know, Dev, but I want to remind you, Kip's a little... different? Devlin frowned at Roger. Yeah, everyone knows that Kip's gay. What does that have to do with anything? Um, according to the bartender, he's been having a little thing with one of the inn employees. Really? Yeah, Roger took a deep breath and let it out slowly. Marty Sullivan, the night manager. Justin's older brother. Devlin sat back down. He glanced from Roger to Mandy and back. I thought Marty Sullivan was married. He is. Oh. 
Now it was Roger's turn to stand up. This thing could get ugly, Devlin. I mean, even uglier than it is right now. I've already had to flash my gun and threaten the mayor tonight just to have you reinstated, and now I'm fixing to go haul in her assistant for questioning in an assault case. Devlin leaned back in his chair and gave a low whistle. Roger? Yeah, I know, Dev. You're the one who said it. You swing at the pitch you get. Devlin sent Roger to pick up Kip Evans, although the plan was to wait until Devlin got back from checking on Lynn before questioning him. At the hospital, Devlin was relieved to see that the reporters had called off the vigil for the night. As tired as he was, he wasn't sure he could answer with a straight face that there had been no further breaks in the case. At the nurse's station outside Lynn's room, Devlin stopped to check in. Any change on Lynn's condition? he asked hopefully. No, Chief, the dark-haired nurse at the desk answered kindly. I'm sorry. Devlin sighed and walked to the window at Lynn's room. Inside, everything looked exactly as he had left it. Rebecca and Elliot were sitting on either side of Lynn's bed, each one holding a hand. Rufus stood in the corridor, leaning against the wall, his guarded eyes watching everything carefully. Rebecca was the first to notice Devlin. She smiled and touched Elliot's hand, nodding in his direction. Elliot turned and saw him standing there, his hands shoved deep in his pockets, and her heart melted. She stepped to the door and nearly knocked him down with the force of her hug. Oh, Devlin, she breathed, her cheek pressed against his neck. I'm so sorry. He held her tightly. Don't apologize, Elliot. You've got nothing to be sorry about. She pulled back. Walk with me, she said as she smiled tiredly into his eyes. They ended up in the same dark waiting room that Devlin and Rebecca had visited earlier. Elliot stood in front of the window and looked out over the city. Devlin noticed the first glimmering of sunrise in the eastern sky. With her back to him, Elliot started talking. My mother told me that she told you about Reese. She told you I was the one that found him. She turned and looked at him and then back out the window. That's not the whole story. He stepped behind her and put his arms around her waist. Whatever happened, it wasn't your fault. You were eleven. She looked at his reflection in the window. You don't understand. I did find him. After. But I heard him. Before. I heard him leave the house, and I didn't do anything about it. I was inside with him. Mama and Father were in front on the porch talking to a neighbor. Lynn was just a baby. She was with them. I had gotten in trouble over something, I can't remember what, and I was sent to my room. I heard Reese leave out the back door. I watched him from my bedroom window. I saw him wander down the alley behind our house. I knew he wasn't supposed to, but I didn't stop him, and I didn't tell them. Not until after they came in and he was missing. Devlin held her tighter. They don't blame you, he whispered. Father does, she turned to him, her eyes full of tears. He's never said it, but he does, I know. I can tell by the way he looks at me, especially tonight, because now I've let Lynn get hurt. Devlin put his hand across her mouth. You didn't let Lynn get hurt, Elliot, he said emphatically. No one let her get hurt. Some son of a bitch attacked her, and she fought back, Elliot. The doctor told me they got scrapings from under her fingernails. We'll match the DNA and catch the bastard. We've got some leads, but this is not your fault. You've got to believe that. Elliot took a deep breath and smiled at him. His green eyes were so full of love, and she wanted so much to believe what she saw there. She thought that if it were true, if he really did love her, that she could deal with anything life threw at her. She gently brushed her lips across his. Mama's right. You are a good man, she said softly. Elliot, a voice said from behind them. They turned together and saw Rufus standing in the doorway to the waiting room. 
Elliot, he said again, a little louder after clearing his throat. Your sister is awake. With an excited gasp, Elliot hurried past her father towards Lynn's room. Devlin held back, waiting for Rufus to go ahead of him. Instead, he stood in the doorway, studying Devlin. After a moment, he spoke. My wife says you and my daughter are in love. Devlin straightened his shoulders and looked Rufus in the eye. Yes. I don't blame her, you know. Sir? For Reese's death, I don't blame her. She thinks I do, but I don't. How could I? She's my child, my firstborn. She is more precious to me than she will ever know. Rufus stood back and gestured down the hall. Devlin smiled and nodded as he followed Elliot back to Lynn's room, Rufus at his side. Dr. Munka arrived at about the same time that Devlin and Rufus got to Lynn's room. The two of them, as well as Rebecca and Elliot, waited out in the hall while the doctor completed his assessment. After a few moments, he stepped into the hall with the family. Well, this is good news, he said with a smile. She seems to have regained complete neurological functioning, although she doesn't remember much about the last few hours. That is fairly common in this type of trauma. He looked at Devlin. Don't push her too much about that. She may remember details of the attack later, or she may not. It's impossible to tell. Other than that, though, I'm optimistic that she's going to be fine. We'll keep her here for a day or two just to be sure, but I think we're out of the woods. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief. Rufus shook the doctor's hand vigorously. Elliot and Rebecca hugged tightly. Rebecca and Rufus went into Lynn's room. Elliot stepped over to Devlin's side and took his hand. They watched in silence as her parents gently greeted Lynn, who still looked very groggy. Devlin looked at Elliot and saw she was wiping tears from her face. Go on in there, he said softly. I will, she said with a loud sniff. She turned to him and smiled through her tears. Well, you've seen me cry a lot in the last couple of days. He reached over and wiped his thumb across her cheek. These tears will be the last for a long time. I can't wait to start making you happy, he said with a gentle smile. She took his hand in hers and kissed it. Don't you know you've already started making me happy, old man? She said quietly. That concludes this week's chapter of Not On My Watch. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 314 of Wait A Week Mystery. Or you could visit jcbodden.com and order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one. <laughs>